We're going to dive into God's Word. Um, the title of the sermon today is Let Jesus' Song Get Louder, uh, which is the, the bridge of that song that we just sang you. And uh, this, the, the text for today is Psalm 96. Uh, so I want to first give you some context, and then, and then I'll have you stand and we can um, read it. Uh, a lot of times that when I read the Psalms personally in my devotional time, I don't necessarily think about the context of, of where this Psalm is coming from, but Psalm 96 actually has a really interesting story behind it. It's one of three Psalms that was sang after the ark um, was returned to the people of Israel. So the ark uh, is, is the, the throne of Yahweh among the people. This is God's dwelling place with us. You know, this is God's dwelling place with his people. It was taken by the Philistines, uh, and uh, we know from that from 1 Samuel 4. And then after David's made king, they get the ark back. The Philistines actually didn't want it back, and they eventually, you know, it's um, brought back. And then this psalm, or part of it, as well as two other psalms, were sung on the coronation of it coming back to to God's people. Uh, And so there's a sense in which this psalm is saying, you know, it's coming out of this context of, hey, it felt like God was gone. You know, we didn't have his presence. This is the signifier of his presence with his people. It wasn't with us. It It was over there. And now it's back. Our God is back. And he never really was gone. But let's praise him uh, and let's sing to him and let's call the nations to sing to him. So if you want to stand and we'll, and we'll read, read the psalm. We'll put it up. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Yeah, let's all do it. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Amen. You can grab a seat. Father God, I pray that you would anoint uh, my words um, as I speak today and as we see a glimmer of your heart for all the peoples and nations through this psalm. Uh, Would your son receive the, the praise that he's due in the stories, would he receive the praise that he's due in the preached word? Would he receive the praise that he's due in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm that we just read is, is responding to that devastation, the loss, the depression of, you know, they've lost God's presence and it's come back and, and it's extolling the nations to join the song, join in praising God for his marvelous works. It's calling the nations and saying, hey, look, we're singing this song now. Would you join us and sing this song? Um, so that's, that's why this sermon is going to be called Let Jesus' Song Get Louder. And we're going to be simply just asking the question, how does Jesus' song get louder? Uh, if the psalm is about calling the nations to, to come and join the, cho- the chorus, join the choir, let's get louder. How can we let Jesus' song get louder in our lives? So the first point is that his song gets louder in our lives when we, in our weakness, fall into his arms because then his song is seen as louder. He's seen as, as, as the life bringer. He's seen as the, the sustainer. That's the psalm has a context of, of the people of Israel were in a weak spot. They lost their God. They felt like they lost his presence. And often when we're weak, you know, we think, don't, don't look at that area of weakness. There's a sense that if there's an area that we feel like doesn't look good, then maybe Jesus won't look good or something. We don't, wanna, we don't, want, we don't want those areas to be seen uh, and, you know, we've been on the mission field now 10 years. And, you know, when we come and give a presentation like this, we can come and we can tell stories and we could, 
really, you know, and you will hear amazing stories, but we can really doctor it up where it just sounds, yeah, everything is all, just on all cylinders, everything's great. And the reality is it's really hard. And there's times where it's, it's, we feel very weak. And there's times where we say, we can't do this anymore. There's times where we say, we can't keep going. There's times where it feels lonely. There's times where it feels isolated. There's times where it feels like it's a waste. And that is the sweetness of Jesus then in those moments when he looks at us and he says to me, Jamie, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Put, let me take my, your burdens upon my shoulders and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly. Has anyone read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland? It's just phenomenal exposition into the heart of Jesus. This is the only part in all of scripture where he says what his actual heart is like. You know, a lot of times we, we like to talk about what God is like. This is what Jesus has one chance. You want to know what I'm like? I am gentle and lowly in heart. He wants, and he, and he invites us to come to him. Bring your junk to him. Bring your weakness to him. You feel like I'm not there? Then come to me in that. This is, uh, he's, Dane Ortland says this in the book. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you're going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. Jesus is so different. He's so different than every other worldview, every other philosophy. He wants you in your toughest moment brought to him. That is qualifying you to go to him. It's amazing. He says, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper is Christ's solidarity with us. And as we go into the pain and anguish, we're descending deeper into Christ's very heart. When I, when I read this book and just did this lengthy uh, season of, of looking into Christ's heart as gentle and lowly, I felt like it made me so much more bold in the way that I could share my faith with other people. You know, oh, trauma, Jesus wants you. You know, depression, Jesus is coming for you. Whatever it is, there's, you, can, you can try other things. You can try, you know, new, new age things. You can try secularism. You can try whatever. Jesus is the only one who's coming for you. He is a wild man like that. And, and, and so the more that we have a weakness, uh, the louder his song is. You know, when the basis of our faith is him, his song gets louder. You know, and I've always said, you're going to fall in life. I've learned that, uh, certainly, in the last 10 years. But if you fall into Jesus' arms, it's just so much sweeter and so much better, and he, his song gets louder. Um, I want to tell you a story from Iraq uh, that exemplifies a little bit of this. Um, if you remember that, that guy Cornelius... Uh, in the mid-2000s, so this is before we went, so a lot of these stories go back. This is a story that we've been able to come in, into later on, but these stories go back deeper, uh, longer. And so in the mid-2000s in Iraq, it was a time when you know, people, before they left the house, they would you know, kiss their loved ones goodbye. There was just so much uncertainty, car bombs, kidnappings. People didn't know if they were going to make it home. Uh, so Cornelius and his friends had just begun reading the Bible together. They weren't trying to start a church. They weren't trying to start a movement. They weren't trying to start a network of churches. Anything. There was friends reading the Bible together um, and learning about Jesus and falling in love with him. One of the men that had um, Cornelius was kind of discipling through this was named Mahmoud. 
And uh, while Mahmoud's wife was very antagonistic to Jesus from a Muslim background, um, Mahmoud had fallen in love with Jesus. Um, he was a police officer and he worked um, at a checkpoint. So in Iraq, we have a lot of checkpoints when you're driving, you have to pass through and they do security. And uh, Mahmoud was one day, he was working at his checkpoint and a car bomb went off and he was killed. And um, the night after he died, um, his wife uh, saw Mahmoud in a dream and he was in heaven. And he was in heaven pointing to Jesus and inviting her to come and follow him. And so his wife woke up and she did a 180 and she wanted to learn more about, about this Jesus that she saw that her, that her husband was inviting her to come follow. And so she found Cornelius and she started learning about Jesus and she just got so excited in her faith and she's reading the Bible and she's sharing with other people and um, you know, she's building ideas in them about, hey, this isn't just a Bible study. Let's start, let's be a community of faith. Let's start other groups that can multiply as well. And, and there's just this boldness that everybody sees and it's so con- infectious from this woman named Sarah. And, um, and they had never had a woman believer. She was the first woman believer from their people, from their city. And there was, so there was such an excitement and you know, God, is, God is moving. Even though we lost Mahmoud, God is moving. And it comes out that, that Sarah had stage four cancer. And, um, but they, they had this faith. They knew she's, she's got to be healed, you know. Uh, God didn't bring us this woman just so that she could die. Uh, so, but Sarah continues to, to develop these ideas for how they could train leaders. And, but Sarah wasn't healed. And she did die. And Cornelius, when he told me the story later, he said it felt like the moment that the sun goes down on the horizon and everything went dark. And they had this, God had answered their prayers. He was moving. And then all of a sudden, she was gone. Um, but through that, people, people later afterwards said, the way that she died was unlike anything. In this era and of time of crisis and war and bombs, when people, you know, they didn't know when they were going to leave, if they were going to come back again, but they saw Sarah, who knew she was dying, and she was just falling into the arms of Jesus with such faith and hope, and this be- they said her death was so incredibly hopeful and beautiful that if it, someone had written about it in a book, you wouldn't even believe it. And then someone else had said, um, if this is what it means to die with Jesus, we have nothing left to lose. And so it gave them this boldness uh, that they began sharing that in the ways that she had given them this, this energy by the Holy Spirit to share, and they began sharing. And the first, second group that became a church that was, that was started was by another woman who had come to faith who started a group among women. And so Sarah fell into Jesus' arms. She, she, she was the type of woman who said, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you, God. And then as a result, Jesus' song was loud in her life and it resounded in the lives of the disciples around her as they saw that if this is what it means to die with Jesus, there's nothing left to lose. Back to the psalm, you know, when Sarah died, as Cornelius said, the sun went down, it felt like God was gone. But now he's back. Look at him, he was here the whole time. So let's praise him. Let's sing to him and let's, let's tell everybody. Let's tell everybody to sing to him. Okay, point number two. His song gets louder in our lives when we sing new, beautiful, creative songs of his salvation. So if you look at, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. There is something about this newness of a song. 
His song gets louder in new songs, in, in creative singing, in creative living, in creative recounting of all the blessings that he's doing in our lives, the millions of things that we see and don't see. He's fresh in what he's doing. You know, yes, we have salvation once for all in Jesus, but every day he's doing new things in our lives. I want to tell you a story about that um, and about new songs in particular. So after Sarah, um, Sarah's death, the, the number of groups... Uh, in their network, number of when I say groups, I mean house churches that had, um, you know, they become group, from go from groups to churches. They begin to multiply some, and um, Cornelius, you know, in 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 our Middle Eastern culture, a lot of times you have a you know a patriarch, a mom and a dad, and then their adult children live in the home, and then their children live in the home. So you might have twenty to thirty people living under one roof. So he's living at home with his brothers and sisters um, while this, you know, these disciples are multiplying. Uh, and uh, churches and groups are reproducing. And so at that point, there had been several dozen churches. Uh, and so he had leaders from these uh, groups meeting in, his, in, a, in a room of their house. Um, his brother walked in and saw what, what was going on. And, and they knew he was interested in Jesus and kind of dabbling, but they didn't know the extent of, of what was really happening. And so they told him, there was kind of a family shakedown, and they told him, Cornelius, you know, uh, you're bringing shame upon our family with what you're doing. Um, so you either have to renounce Jesus or you're gone. You're not, we will disown you as a member of our, of our household. Uh, and so he, he you know, stood up and walked out of the room and said, I'm not, I'm not giving up on Jesus. And then his 12-year-old stood up and walked out of the room and said, neither am I. And um, they had nowhere to go. It was winter. Uh, it was very cold. You know, no, no security in any kind, no credit card, nothing. Uh, and so they find themselves at an abandoned building, uh, you know, a place that had not been finished with construction. And uh, so it's Cornelius and his three young children and his wife, and they don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you know, it feels like God is gone. And so the sister um, called, and she said, and that, that, that kind of the background of the story is that the father had given some protection for Cornelius, but after the father just recently died at the time of the story, um, uh, that protection was lost, and that was how they were able to kick him out of the house. The sister called and said, where are you? I want to talk to you. She um, goes to the place where they are, this abandoned building, and you know, she comes um, from her car. The kids run out to see her, hug their, their aunt, and the sister comes to Cornelius and says, brother, you're making just such a stupid mistake. Um, just say that you're done with Jesus and we'll let you in the house and you can even get your inheritance from you know, the father's death. And he says to her sister, did you see where the sun rose this morning and did you see where it set tonight? If you gave me all of the things in between those two places, I would still never renounce my Jesus. And she turns and says to him, well then let your God provide for you. And she storms off angry. And what Cornelius didn't know at that point in time is that the believers in their network that had grown, their network of, of churches, were beginning to mobilize and were beginning to raise funds and, and different essentials for him. And within three days, uh, shortly thereafter, they had purchased a home for him. They had raised over $40,000 and bought a small house for him. Um, and most of it was just through People giving $50, $100, $200, $25, um, and they, they put him in this house. And he, he's, he's telling the story, and there's, there's all these heaters in the house, and Cornelius is saying, I don't know what to do. There's this big stack of heaters. There's more heaters than I have rooms. Uh, and he tells the story then of an electrician who came over to set up the electricity, and, and he says, uh, you know, I just set up the electricity. Cornelius goes to pay him, and, and, and the electrician says, you know, there's something in me that's telling me not to accept money right now. 
um, but have, you know, enjoy your electricity, and he leaves. All the gods of the nations are worthless idols. You know, let your God provide for you. God is bringing a new salvation for his people. And that's what, that's what our brother Cornelius got to experience. God is not going to leave him behind. He will give him a new song to sing. We had been praying for this network of churches and asking God to write new songs of worship from them. And uh, it was a, we were with some other believers last summer, and we were specifically praying um, in song for, for new songs of worship. And then right after, about a week after our gathering that we had been with other people, Cornelia sent me a message, and in it was two kind of beautifully formatted PDFs, and uh, they were new songs that he had written. And he said, brother, these just, Jesus just spilled these out of me. What do you think of them? And um, I'm going to read you the first verse of one of the songs, one of the first kind of indigenous songs written from their network of churches. And uh, the poetry will be lost because of the language translation, but uh, I think you'll get the, the beauty of it nonetheless. It says, when I'm sick and lonely... When I've lost my home, with your hands you touch me, and with your kindness you comfort me. I call your name, I call your name, glorious Jesus, I call your name. So do you hear his song getting louder? And it seemed like God was gone in that moment. We were cast out of, he was cast out of his home, but God was there. God was doing something through this community of faith. And let's sing, you know, we all have a song to sing, a new song to sing, a new song from this last week, a new song going into the next week. You know, this is, this psalm that we're looking at is a psalm of, you know, rejoicing that God's presence has returned, that now his dwelling place is back among his people. And, and we have a new song in Jesus that not only now do we have an ark that's coming and we still have to clean ourselves up, but like God's son has tabernacled among us that we have the real thing. That's the new song of salvation, that he's come and made a way for us through Jesus, through the cross, so that we can be with God. That is a new song that's worth singing about. Okay, the third point. Uh, His song gets louder when we tell the nations of his salvation. So sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. There's a connection between beholding what God has done, singing, and telling others. Uh, we had just gotten back um, into Washington uh, about a month ago. We haven't been here for five years. And, uh, you know, if you live in Iraq, just the general kind of view of everything is very brown. Uh, so you come to Washington and you're just like, wow, look at that tree, it's green, you know? And then you start throwing in like mountains and water and all this, and it's just so incredibly astounding, right? Uh, don't take it for granted. And um, we were down in, in Seattle area and, and I was looking at the sunset over the water, over the Olympic mountains, and it was just all the colors, you know, are coming. It's one of those just colorful ones. And, um, and I just felt this overwhelming desire to start singing as, I, as, as it was happening. And I was beholding it, and then I just, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder. And it was just, I couldn't, couldn't help it, right? It just is behold, sing. And then when I went, went inside and my wife was inside, and then I, and I was like, you've got to go see this. What I just saw, there was a, there was a natural impulse. I, I beheld, I was astounded, and 
you gotta, I want you to know about it. I gotta tell you about it. So there's this, this thing that's in us and you see that in the, you know, in the apostles in Acts 4, they're beaten and they count themselves worthy to suffer. And then they say, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. You know, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the mutes are speaking. The tabernacle of God and his son has come to be with us. And, and, and now we, we have him and his spirit forever. We can't help but speak. That's what this psalm is about. Tell of his salvation from day to day. That's in, in um, you know, this is pretty much the same term. If you get a Greek Old Testament, it's evangelize, good news it. Good news his salvation from day to day. Good news the new song to others from day to day. I want to tell you a story about that from Iraq. Uh, and if you remember that picture of us, uh, that was March 10th, 2014. We left here. And, uh, you know, around that time, Cornelius and their groups, um, so again, the story's older than ours. We only came into it later on. Um, you know, their, their groups had multiplied, and they had about 22 groups of believers that were meeting, small churches, about five people per group. And most, almost all of them were Kurds. Though they knew Arabic, they were all Kurdish. So we live in the Kurdish region. And they just felt like God was stirring their hearts around that time to begin praying for Arabs. They didn't know why. They didn't know what God was going to do. But they, put all, they felt like they should put all of their Bible study resources that they developed. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be baptized? Put all those things into Arabic. So they did it. They didn't know why. Uh, and so from that, if you remember from that picture, March um, 20, or 20. 14, um, some of you might, if you've been here long, you know, if you've been here long enough to remember the red bricks from the picture, then you'll remember it was about six, seven months later, you know, we, we had spent years getting ready to go to the mission field, and then we're back, because all of a sudden, you know, these black-flagged uh, friends came up from, from western Iraq, and ISIS began pushing um, the world into, into, a, into a really scary place, uh, we were back only for a brief time, and we were able to go back to our home in Iraq uh, shortly thereafter by the end of 2014, but it was something that nobody expected. Uh, and so, you know, God had prepared them by putting these resources into Arabic, and then ISIS comes into, into western Iraq, pushing people. There's two million IDPs, um, people rolling in. We were there, and, and you see it, people rolling into town with nothing but the clothes on their backs and just horror in their face. And so uh, about, let's see, 400,000 of them ended up in Cornelius' city. Um, this is before large you know, nonprofits are there, and people are living in you know, the same type of places that I told you about with Cornelius, abandoned, abandoned homes, abandoned buildings, you know, building uh, tents out of tarps. And so Cornelius and, and the, the network of believers said, hey, we can't help them all, but let's, let's pick a, a group of them and let's try to bless them. Let's figure out what they need, just basic essentials. So uh, they began serving among, among, among uh, I think it was 116 families. And what, what are the essentials you need? He went into a tent. Uh, this woman had a tarp built up into a tent. Uh, and as he walks in, this woman, Nadia, says to him, hey, I saw a vision of you, your face, on the side of my tent. And in that vision, you had asked me and my family to follow Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we're supposed to follow? And he's very, you know, taken aback because they never share that way. They're always very slow and they want to build like love and trust. But he's thinking, okay, well, Holy Spirit. So he tells him his testimony to the family 
And, uh, you know, he does something he never does after he tells his testimony. He said, so would you like to follow Jesus? And Nadia and her family say no. (laughs) Because the stories never end that way in real life, you know. She had just met this guy. But she said she's interested to learn more. And he leaves the Gospel of John and uh, a DVD. I think it was The Passion of the Christ. And uh, he says he'll, you know, he gets the list of the things they want. He says he'll be back in one week. Uh, he comes back one week later and they say, now we're in. Now we're ready. When we read about the cross and about God's love for us, our hearts broke within us. And now we're ready for Jesus. And um, at that point, Nadia had already started two other groups of women that were reading this Bible that she had had. Uh, and she was just beginning this passion for Jesus and beginning to share, very much like the spirit of the woman that I already shared about, Sarah. And so she's sharing about Jesus. She's excited. Uh, and, you know, but from a very conservative Muslim background, her husband, Musa, says to her, um, Nadia, this is all great, and I'm in for Jesus too, but you're going to get us killed if you keep doing this. And so Nadia tells him a story, and she says, do you remember when we left um, our area and you know, we were on foot, because most people don't have cars. We were on foot, and we're fleeing because we have no idea what's going to happen. And this, you know, white pickup truck stopped to pick us up. And if they hadn't picked us up, then, you know, you and, your, and, your, you and our son would be dead, and me and your daughter would belong to another man. And now it's my turn to drive that pickup truck for our people so that they might see the salvation of Jesus. And so we have to keep telling them. We have to keep telling the people of God's salvation from day to day. Through the outreach that um, Cornelius and um, their, their uh, believers in their network had done, there were eight families originally from an Arabic background there that had come to faith in Jesus. Um, those eight had multiplied to 17 families within six months. And then there was a very fast period of reproduction that happened. A lot of times we don't talk about it, but talking with Rob um, two weeks ago, he said, you, you've got to tell the story um, And so by the end of 2016, there were 388 believing groups averaging five people. Um, And so every population center that ISIS had 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 believing groups in them. And this is seven years ago. And it's continued to grow, continued to mature, um, and continued to be refined. Uh, Back to the psalm, you know, it felt like God was gone. You know, terrorists with black flags are riding through the country and people are running for their lives. It feels like, where is God? The tabernacle, you know, the, the ark is gone. What are we to do? But now, look, he was here the whole time. He was here working. Let's sing his praises. And that's, that's, that's what the psalm was about. Let's tell of his salvation from day to day. Let's sing to him, Iraq, and look at what he's done. Point number four, uh, his song gets louder in the gathering of all nations to sing the song. Declares glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. That's why missions is about this strange thing of of trying to see ethnic groups and languages because we want the choir to get more diverse. We want more people to join the song. We want more nations and families, people from different demographics to join this song. It's Jesus' song. And that's where all of, of the trajectory of life and redemptive history is going towards. That's the end goal, Revelation 5. They sang a new song saying, worthy of you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In Revelation 14, it says, that for those who had the Father's name written on their foreheads, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists 
playing on their harps and they were singing a new song. That's where we're going. That's, that's, what, that's what eternity future is about, is singing a new song. Here it, here it is, though. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. And that's, that's where, what all the nations will join in, is a new song. You know, if you're not musically inclined, then I will put you at ease. Uh, when I was doing the research for this sermon, and I, and I was looking at the different you know, parts of Revelation, where, where, where is this all going? And then in Revelation 7, it says, they sang out with a loud voice. And I'm, I was trying to look up, okay, and what is that in Greek? You know, I, want, I hope it's something musical, because this, this sermon's about a song. You know, this is from the Psalms. And so that, that word, uh, Revelation 7, when it talks about all the nations gathering around the throne and singing with a loud voice, it actually, if you directly translate it, it says, and they were singing with a really loud croak. <laughs> so... If, if you're tone deaf and you can't hit the notes, don't worry. Jesus wants your song. If Jesus was tone deaf, it wouldn't make any difference in his receiving of the worship that he is due and in you offering it to him. This isn't about music. It's about life. It's about lives, families transformed. Um, you know, I probably, in my farewell sermon, you know, almost 10 years ago, right here, uh, quoted, I'm sure I did, John Piper said, missions exist because worship doesn't. So this isn't really about, for us, it's not about missions. It's about seeking worship for Jesus from among the nations. All of history is pointing towards that. We're not, we're not out in Iraq trying to see if we can get people, hey, here's the cross. Do you believe? Do you believe it? Yes or no? doesn't matter. Like the, the main thing is, do you, do you behold him? Do you see him? Do you worship him? Are you changing your lives into conformity with him so that you can sing? You can sing a new song to him. That's what we're after. Singers. That's what discipleship is, is singing. When we fall more in love with Jesus, with more and more of our hearts, we're worshiping and singing unto him. That's what, you, know, you think about that thing Paul had, discipleship groups and, and community groups. All of that is about just giving more and more of our hearts and our stories to Jesus, who is the only one who has a song that's worthy to be sung. My song is not worthy to sing. Your song isn't worthy to sing. His song is worthy to be sung by all the peoples, and it's worth telling all of them about. We are extolling the nations and the families to sing a new song. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Sheikh Moose. So the really um, just astoundingly beautiful thing about this network of churches I told you about is that in a country of sectarian violence and war and, um, and very, very ethnic division, they have seen, uh, you already heard the story of how it went from Kurds to Arabs, and a real key part of their identity as believers is loving enemies, loving those who persecute you. And so it's not just Kurds and Arabs, but also Iraqi Turkmen. Uh, and so one of Cornelius' best friends was a guy named Sheikh Moose, and he was from that background of Iraqi Turkmen, and he had some different um, groups and churches from that background. Uh, and in about 2016, um, and this is still during kind of the ISIS era, uh, there was uh, one of the small groups from that, um, that, that ethnic group stream. Uh, there were three men over the course of six days, uh, believers, who went missing. Uh, and, and nobody knew what had happened. Uh, a number of days later, um, Sheikh Moose's body is brought back to his, his parents' house with a note on it that says, this is what happens to those who believe in Jesus. And um, everyone remembered Sheikh Moose's words. Uh, when, when in Iraqi culture, when you go to someone's house, a new house for the first time, a new friend, you always bring a gift with them. It's considered shameful if you don't bring a gift. 
And Sheikh Moose had said, you know, he had been reading the Bible and, and looking towards his future with Jesus. And he said, you know, when I, go to, when I go to heaven, when I go to be with Jesus, I don't want to go empty-handed. I want to bring a gift. And I want that gift to be my life. And he did, you know. And he did sooner than anyone had ever expected. Um, because nobody knew if there were going to be more people taken after these men had gone missing. Uh, just there was an immediate stopping of all the groups meeting. Um, there was a lot of fear. There was a big beginning of distrust of one another that, that, was, that was sown. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't know what to do. Sheikh Moose's sister called Cornelius and the other believers, uh, leaders and said, I, I feel like I need to meet with you. And they didn't even know if they should meet with her, but they did. And his sister came and, and said to them, you cannot let my brother die in vain. He had one mission in life and you have to finish what he started. And, and you know, though there was a huge setback among um, their people group, their language group as a part of the whole network of churches. Um, since then, th- that has continued to grow. There's continued to see more health. Again, with, with this sister, actually, and several other women um, at seeing more, more growth. And so Cornelius, even though he lost his best friend, uh, he looks back at this moment and says that was one of the greatest moments of growth, again, because it showed, just like they learned in that first story, if this is what it means to die with Jesus, we have nothing left to lose. God is moving and he's bringing about the song of the nations for his son, Jesus. And Jesus' song is getting louder. If you're weak and you have moments in your life where you're weak, we all do, and you lean into him, then his song gets louder. If he shows up and he works salvation in your life, like in that story with Cornelius and the things that we've been waiting for, for him to show up, then his song gets louder when we give him the credit for it. When we can't help but tell from day to day of what he's doing, and his marvelous works, then his song gets louder. Do you hear his song getting louder? I hear a song from in this room, a song in our, in our hearts, of hearts falling more and more in love with Jesus. I hear a song of saints from the generations of past. I hear a song of saints among the unreached people groups of the world and in closed countries today, giving and telling the good news even at great cost to their lives. This is our song if we're in Jesus. This is the song that we will sing with Sheikh Moose and others throughout all eternity. The song that Sheikh Moose got to bring to Jesus as a gift far before anyone thought he would. This is the song that we will sing with, with people like Nadia as she continues to tell of his salvation from day to day in Iraq among people whose lives have been turned upside down in some of the hardest of places. This is a song that we will sing with Cornelius as he continues to labor and struggle, and God keeps showing up and blessing this, this incredible man that is a brother and this is a privilege of our lives to partner with him as he writes new songs of God's salvation in Iraq. This is a song that we'll sing in eternity with Sarah, who now looks back on a generation of women who are telling the good news and singing their own songs to Jesus. This is the song. This is our song, church. And you're, you're a part of it. Do you want it to get louder? And that's the cry of our hearts. Would you stand with me? And I want to just sing that song that we taught you at the very end of the, the song that we shared. Let Jesus' song get louder. Let the nations sing it louder. So it's, let Jesus' song get louder. Sing it out with me. Let Jesus' song get louder. 
Let Jesus' song get louder. Let the nation sing it louder. Let Jesus' song get louder. Let Jesus' song get louder. Let Jesus' song get louder. Let the nation sing it louder. Amen.